No, I mean, architecture is political. We gotta, we gotta add that stuff. Indeed. We're tearing down communities to build multifamily and you have to understand we are creating displacement. You're displacing black and brown folks and they don't come back. Half of this podcast would be dedicated to the history of Tyler House my journey and my discoveries and hey i'm gonna solve this housing problem hey guys what's up my name is melissa daniels this is the architecturalist political podcast where black and brown folks talk about architecture i hope you enjoyed this podcast and be part of my storytelling it's back to school time it is august during this recording and students are getting ready to go back to school. Yeah, it's perfect timing to talk about the University of Toronto, Daniels faculty, black students in design. Recent graduate Claire James and I spoke actually in June, I believe. I know it's now August, but perfect timing again because it's back to school time. The BSD, Black Students in Design, was created in recognition of the many barriers faced by Black students in design and architectural fields. It was a pleasure talking to Claire. She was bursting with energy and it was just a a upbeat and just pleasant conversation I had with her. So uh, this is a super brief intro. I just want you guys to enjoy it. Whether you're students or you're 20 years into this field, uh, you, you will enjoy our conversation. So here you go. Hi, Claire. Hi. How are you? I'm really, really good. I'm so excited <laughs> to be on this podcast. Well, thanks for uh, agreeing to be on. When you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yes. So my name's Clara, Clara James. I'm currently in Canada right now. So yeah, and I am the founder of Black Students in Design, which is a student-led club at the Daniels Faculty of Architecture, Landscape, and Design at U of T. So I'm the founder, and I'm also working on the outreach team at the Daniels faculty as well. So yeah, that's just me really, really briefly, but I'm sure we'll get into more in a second. (laughs) We will, we will. So how did I discover you? Not you personally, but the Black Students in Design group was through Instagram. Arcus Polly, Architects Political, follows you. And I was like, wow, I didn't even... I always like to go overseas. I always like to see what other countries in architecture are doing. And so when I see a Black student union just pop up, I get super excited. So that's what gravitated me towards you. And I contacted you and you were like, perfect timing. We just wrapped (laughs) some stuff up. So I'm I'm curious about life in uh, Toronto and your university. But before we get into that, why architecture? Why did you pick architecture? Okay, so I'll give you a little bit more background of me. So I was born in Canada, but I grew up in Bermuda. And in Bermuda, they have a really fantastic architecture there and like for me it was all about the colors it was about how everything was unique everything had its own place and in Bermuda like the the roofs are white everything's just super colorful and reflective of just the vibrant culture there I think for me that's what initially drew me to architecture I used to do lego blocks and all that kind of stuff so <laughs> yeah I was really excited about designing but it was a little bit tricky 
to get into it. So thankfully, my parents were friends with a few architects who helped me just do some work shadowing just to see if I would even like it. And then I did a couple internships throughout high school and also during my time at university. But then, yeah, I did a tour with my high school out in Canada for just different schools out here. And we found U of T. And also, since I was born here and I have family here, I was like, well, this is perfect. So yeah, I was really interested in the U of T architecture program and as well the Carleton architecture program. But I settled with U of T. That's how I sort of landed in the architecture space. (laughs) So your parents came up here from Bermuda and you were born in Canada. Yes. So I was born in Canada. My dad was born in Bermuda, but he, so he was living up here for a while. And then he met my mom out here and she was actually from Antigua and, but she had permanently moved to Canada, like when she was really young. So we all came together and then moved back to Bermuda. My immediate family is actually back in Bermuda right now, but then I have extended family out here. (laughs) Wow. So when you were living in Bermuda, I think this is really fascinating. You're like, oh, it's warm all throughout the year. Like, were you? No, it's, I think Bermuda is such like a unique and very interesting place because it's not warm all throughout the year. I think it's warm about maybe five months out of the year and then the rest is kind of just temperate and cool so you can't go swimming (laughs) all the time like people think but yeah Bermuda was a really interesting place in terms of the social atmosphere as well as politically very interesting I'm not gonna say for a fact because I don't know for a fact but I'd say like 50 50 white black yeah there's a lot of politics in Bermuda which is part of the reason why I didn't want to go back I love Bermuda though (laughs) or anything but yeah what part you said Canada so what part of Canada are you I'm in Toronto okay you're in architecture school you're in the the Daniels architecture facility Yes. Um, I don't know, department school uh, or just say faculty, I guess. Faculty, faculty. Faculty, okay. So your first year, how was that like? My first year was really intimidating because I think one thing that I didn't know about architecture school going in is that you kind of have to know what you're doing. And I had, I mean, as much as like I didn't have any previous architecture education. So I think it was a little bit of a jump for me going from just regular high school to just straight into architecture. And I think the reason being is that there wasn't a whole lot of like, okay, this is how you draw this. Like, I think I took maybe one course that sort of taught me, you know, different angles and the basic things of architectural drafting and using the technologies. But Yeah, for the most part, it was a lot of self-learning, which was a little hard, and the supports weren't completely there, I think. But then also on the other side of it, it was hard for me to sort of feel integrated into the architecture faculty because, you know, I didn't see as many people that looked like me, and there were very few, and we were all spread out. I did feel a little bit out of place, but... I don't know, I kind of got used to it in my first year. And then in the second year, I started to notice it more. And I'm like, oh, starting to get a little bit more uncomfortable. How's the program? Is it like a four-year program? Is it like, yeah. like, like how is it 
So the undergraduate program at Daniels is a four-year program, and the first two years, everybody is inducted into the comprehensive stream. So that means everyone sort of takes a diverse range of courses, but then by the end of the second year, everybody gets to, if they decide to, choose a stream, and there's, I think, uh, three streams, three or four streams. So there's the design stream, which a lot of people compete for. And there's also not a lot of spaces in like any of these streams. I think there's a handful of spots. So it is like a huge competition when that time comes around. So there's a the design stream. We have a tech stream, which is, I think, like the next sort of competitive one. And then we have the history stream. And then also you can choose to do a major or minor in visual studies, which will be slightly separate. I don't think it's a stream necessarily. And I did a minor in visual studies just because I just wanted to take art courses mm -hmm. and they were really fun. But yeah, that's sort of the structure of the program. So it's four years, correct? Yes, that's four exactly. years. Okay. Yeah. And is it quarters or semesters or how? Yeah, so it? it's by semester. So there's two semesters in each year, the fall semester and then the winter semester. And then there is a summer, I think there might be two summer semesters, but that's those are optional, of course, like you don't have to come, but just to complete the four years, it's the fall and the winter uh, semesters. How many Black students were there when you first started in your first year? That's a great question. I am not 100% sure from what I was aware of. I think there were, if I could ballpark in my year, I don't know about any of the other years, but in my year, I think there was maybe 10 or so Black students, and that's out of like maybe 300 or so. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And I think there was only one uh, Black male. and yeah. So how many when you graduated? When I graduated, that's an even better question. I'm not sure. I yeah, because I think because the class is so big, it's kind of hard to keep track of who's staying and who's going. And like, so I'm not sure. So is it the 300 students that started? Is it that you get 300 students that graduate also? Was I, it also a big class? So were you like, wow? Yeah, I think it, down. no, I think it was, from what I remember, I think it was a really big class. We did graduate online. So oh. <laughs> I saw the list of, I know, unfortunately, but I did see the list of names and it was a pretty big list. So I think probably in the hundreds. Okay. I'm yeah. just not sure. Yeah. Okay. How did your university handle COVID? I enjoyed learning online. I think for me, it just sort of fit my, my way of learning and being able to schedule my own time, schedule like study time. And I feel like I had more time as well to just compress and do exercises. And Because, you know, I'm just at home. I don't have to spend time walking to from class to class. Yeah, I felt much more organized, but... I guess personally, it was hard not having that social interaction or being able to collaborate with people in groups on projects. And so that sort of part wasn't the best, but overall, I didn't mind it, honestly. Yeah. Great. So what made you decide to start Black Students in Design? Yes. So this is a really interesting story. So before I even get into how I started that, I'd say that my interest in Blackness and architecture sort of came about 
when it was sort of the end of my second year um, of architecture and I was feeling kind of like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing because this isn't really what I expected. And like, I don't feel like I'm passionate about this like I was when I left Bermuda. And so I decided to do some research into some of the other courses that was on campus at U of T. And so I found called Geographies of Urban Social Exclusion and Segregation. And that talked about urbanism and redlining in Chicago. And that really, really sparked my interest. And I was really confused why this was my first time, you know, hearing about Blackness and architecture and how those two are related. And so that's sort of when the wheels started turning. I took, this class was fantastic. We read the book called Spatializing Blackness, Architectures of Confinement and Black Masculinity in Chicago by Rashad Subaz. And he actually ended up coming to our class, which was really cool and speaking with us. So I think that was a, a, a very pivotal moment for me in terms of my inspiration to do this. And then another thing too, once I came back, you know, that was an elective course outside of the Daniels faculty. Faculty. So once I came back into the Daniels faculty to take more courses, I'm just realizing like, there's not a lot of this, there's not a lot of talk on blackness and architecture. If there is, maybe there's one slide at the end of a presentation about all of the areas of equity, and there was just not enough attention. And then also, I remember there was one course where we had professionals come in that or recent graduates to talk about their experience as a professional. And None of them were people of color except for one person who was a woman, and she was the only woman. And that's when my friend sort of pushed me to ask the question. And so I asked her, like, what's it like as a woman of color? Because obviously it's just been white men that we've been seeing. And unfortunately, she didn't really have much of an answer for me which was a little disheartening. And I'm like, what? There's no support even in the industry? So that was in 2020, the beginning of 2020. And so in the summer of 2020, obviously COVID happened and the death of George Floyd was really hard on everyone. And also a lot of the architecture schools were beginning to react to all the things that were happening with Black Lives Matter. And I thought, well, this is the perfect time for me to really push myself and create something that's positive. And I kept seeing some of the Black students in classes and I didn't know them. I wasn't friends with them. I don't think they knew each other. There was no community for us. So I thought, hey, why don't we form this club? It was initially called Black Students at Daniels. We later on changed the name to InDesign. But yeah, I was really excited to sort of just bring people together that hadn't pr previously been together, which was strange. I don't know. <laughs> so did you do a mass email? Did you just start tapping people so, on the shoulder? How did everybody come together? At the same time as I had this idea, the Daniels student undergraduate student union, they were uh, putting together a letter to respond or to just, you know, call to action to the faculty on equity and anti-Black racism. So I reached out to one of the people, the president at the time, who was, you know, leading that. And I just asked her what her opinion was on me starting this club. And she was super supportive of that. It was really <laughs> basic. I just knew one person and I just asked her, hey, would you want to like start this club with me? And I just sent her a message on Messenger. And then I just made a group chat and I asked her to just put all the Black people that she knew in the group chat. And then from there, we did a bunch of Zoom calls. I think we hosted a couple sort of town hall meetings for the Black students. And I think 
we had about 20 people come, which was really cool because I didn't know that there were 20 Black people at the school. And so, yeah, those were all talking about anti-Black racism and, you know, what the school's doing about it. And then I think after that, we also wanted to make sure that we give space for just social interaction and getting to know each other. So we hosted lots of movie events, as well as sip and paints and just fun activities for us to get to know each other. And then it just continued to go from there. And I made an Instagram account. And yeah, it was really, it started off really, really small. So yeah. Did you like share stories or was this a vibe or talked about teachers? Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that this professor, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. I think there's so many different integrating elements that contributed to anti-Black racism within the pedagogy that it was just everything. It wasn't really specific. People weren't being super specific because I think a lot of people wanted to preserve some of their stories, but a lot of it was, you know, thinking about the curriculum and how, like sort of the same things that I had already noticed that the curriculum doesn't represent Blackness in the best way, or if we're talking about it, it's like in relation to slavery and, you know, what like slave slave master houses and all of these things. And I think a little bit of the professors, not necessarily direct stories of this professor said this or this professor said that. I think that came after, like once people started to get comfortable just being in the group and think talking about these things more and more. But initially it was really curriculum based as well as like what the school's even doing about these issues. How was the school's reaction to it? Did you need permission to start a a, a group honestly I I didn't even think <laughs> that I would need permission so I just didn't even look or ask for permission I that's how you do it though that's how you do it yeah but later on like a year in when we were sort of looking to become more established because we had grown so much I was looking into making it an official U of T club but with an with the official U of T club status comes you know implications so that means that we could only have for every one alumni that can be a part of the executive team there needs to be 10 other current students and there's a democracy process which I also think is very equitable in that sense that you know that there is a rotation of leadership within the clubs however I was like in after that year, I was on my way out. I was about to be an alumni and we had just started working. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm actually going to, we're just not going to be an official UFT club, but you know, now we're pretty well recognized for the work that we do. And I don't think it matters as much, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was there any pushback at all? Either, even in among the group. Pushback. I think there was too much pushback because this is something that just never existed before and was clearly necessary. I think the Dino's faculty saw it as an asset to help them <laughs> respond to the issues of anti-Black racism, which I am indifferent about. But I think that their response, they did hold multiple town hall meetings to get people's opinions on things, which things could have turned out differently. But I think what's really interesting is that BSD became like the forehead of Daniel's faculty to Black racism efforts. What type of programs do you guys do? 
we started with, like I said before, just doing very social things with the current students at Daniels. And then we were approached by Aiden Cowling and Mini Brody from the outreach office. And they're so amazing. And they approached us because they had big ideas for us. And this is about a year in. And they were like, there's this grant called the Access Programs University Fund at U of T. Their goal is to help support programs that will be sustainable for underprivileged and racialized communities at the school. So we're like, yes, we'll go for it. And so we went for that grant and we thankfully got that grant. And that was the birth of our program, our first program called Building Black Success Through Design. And then we spent about, I'd say, nine months planning and coordinating and getting that together. And so basically that club, sorry, not that club, but that program was the first multi-level mentorship program at Daniels that supported Black high school students and Black Black current students. And so what we did is we got the Black current students at the university to mentor Black high school students who had a passion for architecture and design, which also helped to sort of create the connection between high school and university. Because I think there's a lot of mentorship kind of, or maybe there's not a lot. There isn't a lot. Let me not say that. But I do know there is some mentorship happening between the university level and the professional level. But I noticed a gap between the university level and the high school level. And we thought it would be like a great way to start something where there's peer mentorship or just so the black high school students can get more familiarized with architecture and know what it's really about before they make their decision to, you know, come into post-secondary education. So yeah, that was a really exciting project of ours. And We just wrapped this up in March, the end of March. So we had a 10-week program. It was unfortunately, but maybe fortunately, it was all online. But we did have an in-person final showcase, which was really exciting. Um, And it was also graciously hosted at Collision Gallery in Toronto, which is a nice, you know, snazzy (laughs) art gallery. So we were super pumped that we were able to get almost all of the mentors and mentees and their friends and family together. And it just so happened that the restrictions were starting to lift up. So it's just like the perfect way to end the program. But we, we came out with some really, really successful architecture work. And yeah, I'm just so proud of it because it's my baby. (laughs) We worked so hard on it. But yeah. So how did the students react to it? I'm curious. Like, did they, did you get like a bunch of emails or did someone make a card? Like, oh, thank you so much for. No, so we, we, we definitely gave them. So every student got an award for just participating and also a certificate. We wanted to make it really special for them because this, this, this is the first program of its kind that we know of in the GTA, the general Toronto area. And yeah, so we got a lot of feedback. And I remember one of the students, he was a Black LGBTQ youth, and he basically said that, you know, as a youth of the LGBTQ community, meeting all kinds of Black students in the design and architecture world, it was incredibly enlightening and uplifting. And that like really warms my heart so much because it seems like people really wanted something like this, or they'd been looking for programs like this, but they just haven't existed. So I was just super excited that even the feedback from parents and their friends, and they were just so excited that this even 
exists and that we were able to pull this off because, yeah, I think there is a lot of interest in our young Black youth in architecture. And that's the goal. The goal is to get more and more Black youth aware of architecture and just seeing if they like it. So that way more people apply to school and then more people become architects. So yeah, that that is our goal with the BBSD program. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Have you met a Black female architect? Yes. Other than that one that you mentioned that came yeah so actually she was not black but she was oh, a okay color. <laughs> okay sorry but yes I, I we've met throughout our the two years of starting BSD we've collaborated with the Black Architects and Interior Design Association and I've met Farida who works there as well as Camille Mitchell and those two are very prominent Black architects in this space. I highly recommend everyone look them up and they have amazing articles written about them. But I actually have a personal mentor, Jay Pitter, who is not an architect, but she is a prominent, prominent placemaker. And she was able to help advise us and help, you know, guide us along with the decisions that we made for the final showcase and like, you know, who got what awards. It was just really cool to have. There were some Black women who helped us along the way with BBSD. But we're hoping that we don't have to rely on just those Black women because it is only a few, like a handful of them. So we're hoping that with more and more people graduating and becoming uh, Black architects, that we'll have more to choose from in a, a wider range of Black female architects. What's next for you? What's and, next? And, and for BSD? Yes. So right now we are applying to the next iteration of the APUF grants, and hopefully it's a, a much larger sum of money. So we're hoping to, ex- to do the program again next year in January of 2023 and hopefully expand it significantly. So we definitely want to have more portfolio reviews, more networking events for our current students, because we really want to make sure that as much as we're helping out our high school students, that the current students at the faculty feel uplifted and feel like they also have opportunities for things like this. So we'll be doing maybe even design charrettes as well as a more intensive leadership mentorship training with, you know, and hopefully more collaborations with other Black professionals and even more firms as well. And then in the future, where my personal goal is to hopefully make a scholarship for a Black students. I know the Daniels faculty already has a scholarship for the Indigenous students. The goal is to get one for our Black students as well, and also get more funding to do more programs like this, even outside of Daniels as well, and beyond GTA and Canada. So that's my personal goal for BBSD and BSD. Are you aware of any other universities? universities that have any type of Black organizations or anything like that in, in architecture? Like, I don't know how many architecture schools are in your area. I'm not 100% sure if they have Black uh, unions or Black groups within the architecture programs, but there's definitely a plethora of, like, 
Black unions and groups outside of architecture. I know that for a fact. And we actually have a whole bunch of them at U of T. And we are planning to also collaborate with those clubs and unions in this next iteration of the program. But yes, it would be great to somehow find if there is and connect with them and hopefully become a bigger organization. That would be amazing. And we're going to be spending the the majority of the summer planning the curriculum. Oh, one other thing is that one exciting thing is that we'll be working very closely with a new assistant dean equity, diversity, and inclusion. And we're really excited to be working with her because she is a Black woman. So hopefully that will help to shape the Daniels faculty in a better way, but also be able to get some good insight in different ways that we can do the program. So that's one thing I'm really excited about as well. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just really excited and happy to have had this opportunity to do something like this. One thing about me is that I was an introvert before <laughs> before all of this. Really? Um, yeah, I was very, very quiet. If you ask anybody who knew me in my first and second year of university, I was very quiet. I would not speak. It was actually that moment when I asked the question to that one lady in that class is when I sort of became more outspoken. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I guess my advice to anybody who is looking to start this kind of thing is just, you know, look around you, reach out to people, network. I think you can definitely make like immediate action-based solutions and, you know, you can really do stuff on your own and that can really, you know, be a catalyst for the systemic change that we all want to see, which we know will take some time. But I definitely think just going for it and using the resources around you while you have them around you will definitely help. And I'm really grateful that I did that <laughs> in the last year of my university experience. So yeah. Was your last year hard or was it? I think I enjoyed my last year the most because I think it was the year where everything sort of clicked for me in terms, I was really intentional in my last year about the courses that I wanted to take, like what classes I wanted to be in. And so that really helped me even gain more confidence in, you know, doing what I'm doing now with BSD. But also I think it, it, it definitely helped to build my confidence with, you know, networking events and hosting. Daniels had ho asked me to host a couple of their public programming events as well. And so uh, yeah, my fourth year was really fun and exciting. And I was really just happy to see BSD like become what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about architecture? Is there any, any like Black architects or Black spaces or Black designers that, that either you learned in school or like is around in Toronto or anything like that? I think uh, it probably wouldn't have been from what I learned in school, <laughs> but through BSD and through being able to network a lot with a bunch of different architects from the Black Architects and Interior Design Association, I think Cousins is an architect, a Black architect that I've definitely been inspired by, and their work is fantastic. I'd say also as well, Camille Mitchell, like I've said before, 
But yeah, I, I guess like because I've been so super dialed in <laughs> to <laughs> BSD and just connecting people and getting people together, I haven't taken a lot of time to just sit and appreciate everything that's come about and everyone around me. So that I'll definitely be spending more time doing that this summer. But yeah, I think Tura Cousins is definitely one of the people who really inspired me. Yeah. Okay. You got any questions for me? How did you find, how did you find my club? And like, do you feel like there's the same kind of support in America? Yeah. So I'm always, like I said earlier, I'm always curious Mm -hmm. about other countries, schools and how other Black people in school, how Mm -hmm. life is and so forth. We don't really think Canada as a totally separate country. Like you- have a prime minister we have a president like it's totally different yeah you're in celsius we're in fahrenheit like you're mm-hmm. in metric we're in inches so it's yeah. like it's it's different when we talked previously i had mentioned the acronym hbcu and you're like what's that and i was like <laughs> oh historically black college university and you're like oh that's that's your reaction was like oh okay like how does that work? I've never been to Toronto. I've been in Montreal, but not Toronto. So it the dynamics, like I know is different. I've always curious, like how is the racial tension there? Is there any racial tension? Like, yes. <laughs> I think that's like probably the biggest misconception of Canada as a whole, that it's just nice, nice and like super diverse, which I will say like living in Toronto is super amazing because it is super diverse and like you can go outside and see every single person from every single part of the world which is really nice but as it pertains to black people yes there is racism here yes we have the same kind like I think it's more of under the rug racism more systemic more microaggressions as well not a lot of outright racism and I think there's a lot of scholarships and programs and a lot of things that they have been doing to support the black community but it does exist and there was slavery here I think Canada just did a really really thorough and great job of putting those things under the rug and like you know wiping their slate clean but if you look back in the history It's not as pretty as it seems, especially when it comes to the indigenous community, which is a whole nother conversation. But yes, with the black community, I think it goes overlooked that it's, it's not as nice as you think. And sometimes it can be comparable with the United States. So yeah. (laughs) I'm kind of curious too, like, is it more like French racism or American? I feel like it's more towards French racism than American racism. Is that, I mean, they, they did some horrible things in, in to Haiti, but I'm yeah. just like thinking, cause I feel like there's more of a proximity to France, obviously, than it is to. But I feel like you would be surprised that it is very, like, I'll give you an example. We had, I don't know if you heard about the truck convoy that happened. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, and people were like in their trucks with the Trump flag and, and just taking over that whole thing and, and being extremely racist and just not being very friendly to Black people during that time. And so I think, yes, it probably can be closer to French racism, but I think because we're touching borders, a lot of it comes up here as well. And I think it's interesting because there is a big conservative 
community here and also an extreme housing crisis and all of these things sort of combined together haven't made it the best for best environment for black people and so yeah i think a lot of it is most likely systemic but i've definitely experienced microaggressions here and there and even yeah it, it hasn't been the most comfortable being a black person but it is more comfortable compared to the united states i will say that but yeah at least you're not us like <laughs> <laughs> no we offense. have our problems but at least we're not america is that <laughs> we'll say that we'll say that <laughs> yeah um, do you speak french no, I don't. I do not speak French. I am a complete Anglophone, but I think it's interesting because when you're out and about, you don't really, like, it's not like a complete French-English community. I think that's, like, really specific to Quebec and Montreal, but, like, in Ontario, I think most people either, it's super international, so it's a lot of different languages that you're hearing, but I guess the standard, like if you were to work in the government, you would definitely have to speak some level of French if you want like the higher up jobs. But yeah, mostly in Ontario, I think it's pretty English, but yeah. about architecture jobs? In relation to the architecture world? No, I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, it really depends on the type of job. Like if you're, if it's, I think it's locational. Okay. But yeah, I haven't seen any job applications that require you to speak French. Yeah, in 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 Toronto, I don't know what it's like in other places. Okay. But yeah. Is there any barriers you can think of when you're for for applying for architecture jobs or anything that you've heard or any anything at all? I there is something interesting that I've noticed is that there the reason why there's not a lot, like I think there's a, a handful of Black students within the university streams, but then after university, that number like shrinks down, like the number of architects that come out of that like shrinks. I'm not 100% sure, but from my own personal experience, I just found that the way that the architecture system is, it's just hard for anybody to become an architect because a lot of the jobs are sort of, you know, there's a lot of nepotism involved as well. And like people just picking their friends and their family, whatever, and that's fine. But yeah, the it's kind of tricky. So after you, after your undergraduate degree, you would also have to do like your master's here. And then after that, uh, I think you can become an intern. So coming straight out of the undergraduate degree, I I was struggling because I was trying to apply for the architecture internships and even urban design internships. And I was competing against graduating master's students. Oh. So that was a huge, I think there's, it's like a weird, it's a weird position to be an undergraduate student looking for work because most people want, even for the internships, want people who are in their master's or finishing their master's. So I guess that would be like one general barrier for getting jobs. But I guess as a Black person, yeah, that's probably, I haven't fully experienced it, but I know for a fact that that's probably something that goes on where, you know, hiring agencies will probably dismiss your work or, but I just haven't had like any direct in, in, uh, 
experiences with like not being hired because of my race, but a lot of it has just been because of experience and, and I guess like as well, you know, I've had only Bermudian internship experience. I've never had an architecture experience out here. So maybe for me personally, that was my blockage, but yeah, I'm not sure. Do you have to get your master's to move on? I, so I would say no. (laughs) To be an architect, yes. If you would, if you want to be an architect, you do have to get your master's. You also have to work for a bit after that. And then within the province, you have to take a licensing exam and then you will be an official architect and you can start your own business and do whatever you want. But I'd say for me, like just as a designer, there's so many other like things that you can go into. And I, when I was working with the studios and I was helping a lot with the students, I would tell them like, like guys, don't feel like so much pressure to go down that route. And like, if you like, you have to be truly passionate to spend more money, spend more time and really push yourself through internships that don't pay very well. And that's another huge problem here in the architecture world is that the internships are minimum wage at best. And so you have to be really passionate about becoming an architect. But I'd say outside of that, like there's so many things that you can do. Like I know people who go into uh, set design or graphic design. Like I sort of, I'm also kind of a freelance graphic designer on the side. And that also helps me with all the BSD work. But there's graphic design, there's urban design, there's landscape, like there's so many other things that you can actually just have a career in once you're done with your undergraduate degree. But unfortunately for architecture, it's, it is a very long process because, yeah, I'd say it's about like a 10 year (laughs) process, almost the same as being, becoming a doctor, Mm. which is kind of crazy, right? And that's probably also why too, there isn't a lot of Black professionals because you know access to funding like and being able to pay for that much school for so long is probably another issue and yeah so it is tricky and I just suggest if people do want to become architects to really you know actually take breaks between you know each of your educational experiences too to just see if that's actually what you want to do I'm very grateful that I did not jump right into the master's degree and like I really took this time to think like, what can I do like mm-hmm. with just my undergrad? So yeah. How much is tuition? For international students, I know it's extreme because I was born here. I <laughs> snuck <laughs> snuck under the radar with that one. I'm, and I'm like actually a domestic student. So I pay a lot less. But for me, I think it was about 8,000 a year, maybe. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I, I had a lot of help from my family. So not 100% sure, but I know in like with the international fees, it could be upwards of like 20,000 or much higher than that. I'm not 100% sure, but it is expensive. I do know that. But I the school does give a few bursaries as well as I know U of T has a lot of scholarships. And also here in Ontario, we have this thing called OSAP, 
which sort of helps. You can get a grant or even get a loan through OSAP if you're a domestic student. And even if you're an international student as well, I think they also have options, which can help you a lot with funding your schooling. But yeah, I I think it is pretty expensive, but I don't want to say for sure. (laughs) Even the numbers you've thrown out there, that is still cheap. (laughs) compared to the U.S. Yeah, I I definitely think it's much cheaper. Definitely much cheaper than the U.S. I mean, I know people who who pay like 50,000 a year. A year. Yeah, yeah. I know it can be very, very, very pricey for sure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This was so lovely. I had such a great time. Yeah. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. Okay, bye. Hey listeners, I have an exciting announcement. I decided to launch a membership program for the show where you have a chance to support me and the show directly. I love creating this show and it means the world to me that you all tune in to keep hearing me week after week, but it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want to keep the show going and I want to invest in its growth. And I also want you to become a partner with me in this journey. That's why I'm excited to give you a chance to officially become a supporter of the show at glow.fm slash archispolly, A-R-C-H-I-S-P-O-L-L-Y, or by clicking the link in the show notes. It's quick and easy. It takes less than 30 seconds and just takes clicking a link in the show notes and using Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to create any new logins and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If this show is part of your day or week and you like what I'm doing, then visit glow.fm slash all one word, and support me and the show in any way you can today. <laughs>